All right, guys. So we are going to jump back into Acts uh, chapter 18. And as I said earlier, my name is David Gray. I'm filling in for Doug today. I'm part of the Mandarin SWAT group and used to attend here and glad to be back and, and see some familiar faces. So just by way of a brief review from last week um, where we Doug went over uh, Acts 18, um, 12 to 21, uh, and the theme of that passage was God is unstoppable in his work, right? And that he deepens our walk um, by, and there were three main points, by allowing us to go through attacks and trials. Uh, that was verses 12 and 13, by showing that he's in control in verses 14 through 17. Uh, and then finally, that he deepens our walk by directing us where and when to serve in verses 18 to 21. Um, so again, just to, to cover it high level, remember this is Paul in Corinth, and um, he's, he's in the first part of chapter 18, Paul comes into Corinth, he's nervous, he's discouraged, he knows what kind of place Corinth is, right? And Doug, Doug used the term, it's, uh, it was Las Vegas on steroids. I thought that was a good description. So he's nervous and, and, and he's alone, right? But God encourages him there in those first 12 verses of chapter 18 or 11 verses where he, he brings him uh, Priscilla and Aquila. And not only are they believers, but they're tent makers, right? So he has that in common with them. He has that fellowship with them. He's able to work with them. He brings him the two converts in Titius Justice and in Crispus, right? And I love the fact that Titius lives next to the synagogue. Crispus is the ruler of the synagogue who's converted. And, and they form a house church right, right next to the synagogue. So God is not without a sense of uh, humor and irony, right? Um, and then, so all that happens. And then at the end of that passage, God promises Paul that he won't come under any attack in terms of physical attack. He won't be harmed. And he tells him, go ahead and speak. Don't be silent. And it says Paul winds up staying there basically for 18 months, right, in Corinth after God tells him that. But the next section of Scripture, starting in verse 12, talks about right after the fact that God promised him this, he gets hauled before Gallio, before this tribunal by Jews that are trying to trying to uh, attack him. It says he was, he was basically, he was attacked. And, um, and he gets brought before the tribunal. Now, God promised him he wouldn't be physically attacked, but just like many other places in Scripture, God did not promise that he wouldn't undergo struggles, right, and spiritual attacks. And so the Jews think, but the point is God allows us to go through these, and he deepens our walk through these trials. So the Jews think they've got Paul. They haul him in front of Gallio, who's a big deal. Doug mentioned Gallio's brother was Seneca, who was a consul to Nero, who became empress, emperor. There was my New England accent, emperor. So, uh, so Gallio was a big deal. And, and, and Satan, even though the Jews were carrying this out, Satan is behind these attacks, right? And, and Doug made the point, you know, why does God allow us to go through these things? Well, are we more inclined to go to God and deepen our relationship with him and depend on him when things are tough or when we think everything is great? And, of course, it's, it's the former, right? He deepens our dependent relationship by allowing us to go through these attacks. And Doug mentioned, could Paul ever have written the profound and deep spiritual things that he did if he had had a superficial walk with God? And, of course, the answer to that is no. And, you know, we looked at some scriptures uh, in that First uh, Peter 1, 6 to 7, about going through trials and our faith being, uh, you know, refined more than gold and tested and being more precious than gold. Luke 22, 31 and 32, where Jesus says to Peter, Satan desires to sift you, right? But I've prayed for you, right? When we go to Jesus, he, he prays for us. I think he prays for us even when we don't go to him, when we belong to him. And then in 2 Corinthians 1 to 11, that passage is about going through trials and being comforted by the God of all comfort, not only so that we can experience and be encouraged by God's comfort, but so that we can comfort others, right? It's always the horizontal, uh, sorry, the vertical relationship with God so that we can expand and minister to others horizontally, right? And give people comfort based on the comfort we've received from God, right? 
God deepens our walk, we saw that by showing that he's in control, right? Before Paul even can say a word in his own defense, Gallio basically throws the case out. He tells them, look, this is about your words and your laws, and I'm not going to have anything to do with it. And they're trying to trip Paul up by, by suggesting that Paul is breaking the law by preaching an unapproved religion in the Roman Empire, right? Against Caesar, or like he's, like he's trying to commit sedition. Sounds very similar to what they accused Jesus of, right? Of course, Paul wasn't doing that. Gallio realizes that. And, and because God is behind this and is in control, he throws it out. And by throwing it out, not only does he absolve Paul, but he, he really indirectly approves Christianity, right? He, by, he's, by saying it's not against the law, he gives his stamp of approval on it. So Doug talked about this. I thought this was great. God is a great table turner. <laughs> and he flips the switch. And it, you guys remember, you know, there's multiple times in Scripture where he does this. Can you think of one or two where he really flips the switch when it looks like things are going this way and going for evil? And Esther. Esther, right? The Exodus, right? Joseph, right? Exodus, uh, Genesis fifty twenty, right? Is Joseph says to his brothers, "What you meant for evil, God meant for good," right? I thought of Samson too. Samson looks <laughs> about as down and out as he could be, right? And um, and of course, the ultimate table turn is Jesus' death and resurrection, right? Now, this is this is another class, <laughs> but. What did Satan know and when did he know it, right? Kind of a thing. What did he really know or understand about the crucifixion? You know, it it appears that he truly thought he had won, right? We know in Genesis, God says to the serpent, you'll bruise his heel, but he'll crush your head. Um, And I brought this up last week in Mandarin. Just as an aside, if you've never seen it, um, the movie based on the C.S. Lewis book, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I don't know if any of you guys have read those books. Or, but Aslan is the Christ figure, the lion in the, in the Chronicles of Narnia. And in the first one, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the white witch is kind of the, the, the uh, Satan figure, if you will. And she's got the whole world under her thumb, just like the Bible says Satan is the prince of the power of the air. And in the movie, Aslan agrees to give up his life to the white witch to save one of the children, to save Edmund, who was a traitor, but just like we are, right, to God, we, and broke God's laws. Well, he agrees, and, the, and the, the scene where the white witch and her minions are going to kill Aslan on the stone table, if you've never seen it, look it up. It is chillingly evil in the sense that the glee and the joy that the white witch and all her minions are showing when they kill Aslan is a, is a chilling picture of what Satan and his forces must have been doing when, when Jesus was crucified, right? But then, of course, in the movie, just like in reality, Aslan uh, is resurrected, and he breaks the stone table, and it's the two sisters of the children that find him, just like the women find Jesus at the empty tomb or in the garden, right? So if you've never seen that, I would encourage you to look up that scene in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. They really did a good job with it. Okay, so enough of that. uh, At the end of that section, Gallio drives the Jews from the tribunal. Sosthenes, who replaced Crispus and would have been the prosecutor of Paul before that tribunal, he gets beaten up by the rest of the Jews (laughs) because they feel he failed in, in prosecuting Paul. But as Doug mentioned... And I didn't know this until I learned it from Doug. And in 1 Corinthians 1.1, right, Paul references Sosthenes as he's writing the letter from himself and from Sosthenes, who becomes a follower of Jesus and and a leader in the church. Okay? So God trains us through these difficulties. Doug said, like, I liked this phrase, he takes us through training to deploy and use us. And, of course, he's in control and... And then lastly, he deepens our walk by directing us where and when to serve, right? Paul was nervous and discouraged at Corinth, like we said. Uh, He didn't get angry at God or turn his back on God, but I like this phrase too. He tightened his grip on God, as evidenced by the vow he made, right? The Nazarite vow that we saw last week. God brings him Aquila and Priscilla, Titius and Crispus. Priscilla and Aquila go with him. 
to Ephesus, right? So in terms of God directing where and when to serve, and they become leaders in Ephesus. And uh, we talked last week about are, are we trusting God who's in control of all these things when we're in different trials and attacks? Are we trusting him or are we trying to fix things ourselves? And a lot of times I'm guilty of the latter, right? Trying to fix things myself, myself. or serving how and when and where I want to serve and what I'm comfortable with versus what God might be calling me to. But remember, what, it ta- what takes the pressure off is that it's not our job to control outcomes. That's up to God, but, but simply to, to serve and to represent him faithfully. Okay, so now we're up to cha- Acts 18, 22 to 28. Any comments or questions about last week? Thoughts? Okay. So we're up to Acts 18, 22 to 28, and the theme of this section is God standing in the gap and filling in gaps, if you will, and using us, using his people to help fill in gaps in other believers' understanding, right? So this section is the start of Paul's third missionary journey, his last missionary journey. By the way, I've been looking more at the maps. I love looking at maps, and I've been looking more at all the places he went, and it's, you know, we t- I tend to read these things. Ah, oh, he went to Galatia. He went to Phrygia. He went to Corinth. Ah. When you look at the map and you realize how far he was going and the, and, and the ways that they traveled, it's it's pretty amazing. So we start to see people now who have pieces of the gospel picture or puzzle. Not that it's a puzzle, but you know what I mean. But they don't have the whole picture, right? They have pieces, but they don't have the whole picture. And, of course, like our pastor likes to say from Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. That continues today, doesn't it? There's people that, that don't have a full picture, right? So we see gaps in understanding of followers of Jesus, and they need help. And God used Paul to fill in gaps for Priscilla and Aquila, and then God used them to do the same for this fellow we're going to see named Apollos, who's talked about in this passage. And Paul's third missionary journey, this is one of the reasons it's so important. He winds up in Ephesus on this journey for three years, right? Filling in gaps for people, teaching, instructing, right? His ministry is winding down, and new people are coming into the kingdom. And like we said, they have this, these gaps in understanding. They didn't have the communication and the, the written words that we have. They didn't have the full canon of Scripture, right? So they needed other believers to come alongside them and help them. And, uh, and that continues today. That's why we're here, right? Doug talks a lot about discipleship, and it's not just about making converts. It's then also God does that. But it's about making disciples, right? Following up with them and teaching them and training. And, of course, we benefit from that, too, like iron sharpening iron, right? So there's three points here before we read the scripture. If you want to jot these down, I'll try to say them slowly because I know how many times I've been trying to write things down (laughs) and don't get them. So, So as God stands in the gap, he calls us to, number one, submit to the authority of his word, and his leaders. Submit to the authority of his word and his leaders. And that's really verses 22 and 23. And then number two, he stands in the gap. He calls us to shepherd the accuracy of his witnesses. So shepherd the accuracy of his witnesses. That's verses 24 to 26. And then finally, as a, as a gap stander, God uses us to support the advancement of his work. And that's verses 27 and 28. Support the advancement of his work. So let me read the scripture uh, at this point, and then we'll kind of get into some more detail about these points. So this is Acts 18, 12 through... Uh, Make sure I got it right. 18, 12 through 20. Oh, wait a minute. Um, now I'm messed up. I don't even remember. 22 to 28. I'll be here all week. Thanks. Uh, 22 to 28. Okay. Starting in verse 22. When he had landed at Caesarea, he meaning Paul, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. 
After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that that the Christ was Jesus. May God bless the reading of his word. Um, And I apologize in advance. I'm going to have scriptures here to give you, and I meant to give out little pieces of paper with the scriptures to a few of you to read them, and I forgot, so but we'll deal with that when we get to it. Okay, so number one, God calls us to submit to the authority of his word and his leaders. Um, It says in verse 22, when Paul got back to Caesarea, which is Caesarea Maritime, right on the coast of Israel, on the Mediterranean coast, kind of, if you're picturing Israel on the Mediterranean, it's kind of midway there on the coast, and it says he went up to the church, went up and greeted the church and the church leaders. So that's in Jerusalem. It doesn't say that specifically, but the fact that that Luke uses the language he went up and greeted the church. When when the the people of that time would talk, they would say if they were going to Jerusalem, they would say we went up to Jerusalem. And and having having been fortunate enough to be on one of Doug's trips over there. Um, when you go to Jerusalem, you, you are on a, you've been there, you are on a, a long and steady incline. The elevation increases as you go to Jerusalem. So, so Paul went up to the, greeted the church and the church leaders in Jerusalem to check in with them and debrief with them about his journey, right? And he also went there to fulfill the Nazarite vow that we talked about, that Doug talked about last week, um, Part of that was to cut his hair. Remember it said at Sancria he had cut his hair. Well, I guess he kept that with him, and he went to Jerusalem and went into the temple as the vow required back from Numbers 6. You you would throw your hair into the sacrificial fire, under the sacrifice, the peace offering, or the peace sacrifice. And Paul did that, right, to fulfill his vow uh, that he made in Corinth, asking God to, to help him in Corinth. And, you know, he does this remembering, because Paul knew that Satan is, all, and it continues today, Satan is always seeking to hurt and destroy the lives of God's children, right? First um, Peter 5.8, that's one of those great scriptures I would have had you read, but that's the scripture that talks about Satan being like a, prowling around like a roaring lion, right? And that's a great analogy, right? I love nature shows. And when you watch these shows, these big cats, right, when they're hunting, what are they looking for? They're always looking for an animal that's off by itself or one that's weak or one that's newborn or whatever it is that's isolated from the bigger herd, right? And, and one of the reasons <laughs> that one of the SWAT pillars is community is that very reason, right? We all need community. We all need that kind of fellowship and support and accountability and encouragement. And so Peter, uh, Paul realizes that, and that's one of the reasons he's going up to the church. He wants to submit to their authority as well, but he also must have needed that community and that encouragement, and he must have experienced great encouragement from the apostles that had been with Jesus who were still in Jerusalem. You know, I, I've talked about this several times in various points in my life, but there was a time in my life where I didn't want male Christian friends. I really didn't care. I, I wanted to be by myself. I whether it was a pride thing or a not wanting to be accountable or whatever it was, but I just didn't really care that much. And, and God doesn't leave you in that position, fortunately, because now I have a lot of male Christian friends and I don't know what I'd do without them, right? I don't know where I would be or what I would do without them, okay? And also, according to verse 23, um, God... Uh, Paul submits to the authority of Scripture, of God's Word, by strengthening the disciples throughout Galatia 
and, and Phrygia, right? So he's going back through these areas now on his third journey to meet again with the, with the churches and the disciples that, that, that he had, he had uh, been with on his other journeys, right? So he, he provides instruction from the word and he fills in the gap. So Paul is submitting to God's leadership, uh, his, the leaders he's appointed in the church, and he's submitting to God's word. Remember in, Matthew, in the Great Commission, right, in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, right before Jesus ascends back to heaven, he says to the disciples, go and make disciples in all the nations, teaching them all that I have commanded you, right? Yeah, well, he is talking about the Old Testament a lot, right? We know that in his speeches that he makes throughout Acts, right, he uses, he uses the Old Testament and the law to show that Jesus fulfills all those things, right? And, of course, we also know that he's been taught directly by God, and he's writing a lot of these things down. A lot of Acts is taking place as Paul is writing various things, right? He's writing letters to the different churches that he's been to. So... But you're right. He's mostly teaching and showing that Jesus is the Christ from, from the law and how Jesus fulfilled those things. Well, yeah, and I and I'm I, I would need to go back and get a get a little clarity on when he wrote everything. But remember, Acts is written by Luke, and Luke is with Paul on these journeys that he's making, and he's going to Ephesus. He's going into Galatia. He's going to. Corinth. He's going to Philippi. And think about what are all the letters? Galatians, Corinthians, Philippians, Ephesians, right? Ephesus. So a lot of his writings, yes, are taking place. Acts is more the chronology of everything and the, and the, and the, the narrative of everything. And then um, the letters come out of all these visits and these ministries to these churches. But think about like in, in, um, when we studied about his speech to the Areopagus, right? He, he doesn't even refer to scripture there, but, he's, but everything he says is biblically based or scripturally based, right? So good question. So in, in the Great Commission, Jesus says what he says, and really what Paul's doing is not only is he submitting to the leaders in Jerusalem, he is submitting to the leader, I did air quotes on the recording there. You couldn't see me. He, he is submitting to Christ, right, as the leader of the church um, and to his word when Jesus said to make disciples and to teach them to observe all I've commanded. Um, Brad and I have been trying to do the radio lately on Fridays to give Doug a, a day off from the radio, and this was Brad's idea. I, and I like it. I thought I'd just pass it on, and maybe you guys have heard us talk about it. But what we're doing on Fridays is we're taking whatever the passage is that Doug's been teaching on that week, and it's always a week, the radio's always a week behind what he teaches here, right? And, um, but taking that passage and then going through it on Fridays and studying it using four questions. What, what jumps out at you from the text? Um, with whom do you most identify in the text? Um, what can we learn from the text about God and about people? And then finally, so what? How, how do we live differently because we've been in the text? And Brad's idea there was to try to model, you know, for a discipleship type situation where if you have somebody that you're studying with and you say, okay, we're going to look at this passage this week and we're going to meet for lunch on Friday, let's both answer these questions about the text. And then when you sit down together, you can go through those answers. And I thought that was... That's a really good model, I think, you know, just to have some structure for discipling. Because I think, I know for me, sometimes it's, okay, what do I do here and how do I do this? So, and it provides a structure for the person that you're mentoring or discipling, and uh, it gives them some accountability. Yeah. Can you just repeat that? Sure, sure. The four questions are, um, what stands out in the text to you? What jumps out? One or two things. Um, with whom do you identify in the text and why, right? So in this text, we've got, we've got Paul, obviously. We've got Apollos. We've got Priscilla and Aquila. So who do you identify with and maybe why? And then thirdly, what does the text teach us about God? What does it teach us about people? And then finally, how can we live differently because we've been taught by that particular passage of Scripture? 
That's the so what, right? <laughs> okay. All right. And then the second point we want to get into is that God calls us to shepherd the accuracy of his witnesses. That's verses 24 uh, and 26. And this is where we get into um, a little bit about Apollos, right? Um, so as Christ followers and disciple makers, right, we know that there have been others in our lives that have discipled us and taught us, right? So we want to help others get it right, right? There's, there's a very important <laughs> To, to understand what the Bible teaches and what it and what it doesn't teach. A lot of people don't want to hear the truth. That's very true. That's absolutely true. But we want to do that with kindness and humility and gentleness and grace, modeling the way that God has taught us and changed us. Um, there's been so many times in my life when I have taught, um, whether it was in a Sunday school class or with my kids or whatever it is, I've often wanted to be more right than I wanted to be loving or kind, right? Now, again, that's not to diminish the need to get it right, but I was more concerned with proving that I was right versus being loving or kind towards somebody, or I did it at the expense of being loving or, or kind to somebody. Um, so a couple passages here uh, you guys can jot these down and, and look at them. But 2 Timothy 2, uh, 2, verse 2 and verse 15 talks about, again, um, making disciples, teaching faithful men so they can teach others. Um, 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2. Paul talks about in that passage about us being servants as we disciple others and teach others. And the word for servants there is literally translated under rowers, meaning like galley slaves in the galley of a ship, and they were at the lowest level of the ship, the hardest, the most awful spot to be when you were rowing in a galley of a ship. And Paul uses that language intentionally to show the humility that we have to have or that he wanted to have as a, as a teacher and as a disciple maker, right? And then Titus 2.1, uh, Paul, Paul uses the term um, sound teaching. And the, the translation of sound there really is healthy. Healthy. And, and, and he's using that word to, to specify and to imply that truth produces spiritual health, spiritual well-being. Okay? So those are some passages to look at. I apologize. Again, I wanted to have you guys read those, but I, I, I choked on that. So. Okay, and in verses 24 to 25, we're introduced to Apollos, right? So just a few things about this guy, because he becomes really um, Paul-like in his leadership and his teaching um, in, in the early church, right? So he's a Jew from Alexandria, Egypt, okay? Alexandria had a large Jewish population, and of course it had the biggest library in the world. I don't know enough about that. I need to... I always think of that... When I read that, I think of the scene in that movie, National Treasure... Right, where they finally find the treasure at the end and the, the woman says, can it be the scrolls from the library at Alexandria, right? So I don't know a lot about that, but I do know it was the largest library in the world. It had a large Jewish population. So he was raised in Jewish culture and he knew the Old Testament. And it says here in the scripture, he was eloquent, he was competent in the scriptures, uh, he was fervent in spirit, right? He spoke boldly in the synagogue. So, and he accurately taught the things concerning Jesus based on what he knew, based on what he knew. But he did have some gaps. I mean, he even taught up to the point that he acknowledged Jesus was the Messiah that John the Baptist said Jesus was. But that's kind of where it stopped at that point uh, for Apollo. So he had gaps related to the significance of Jesus' death and resurrection, uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and now the church as God's new temple, if you will, as God's new witness. So he had these gaps, but clearly he was teachable, right? And he was humble. Have you, I, I bet, I know you have, many of you guys have coached your kids' sports teams or been in situations where you've been a coach before. Has anybody done that? 
what is one of the top things you look for in your players? If you had to say, I just want a kid that's coachable, right? There's nothing worse than a kid that's not coachable. And you know how I know that? Because I wasn't coachable sometimes. <laughs> but if you have a kid that's coachable, you'd almost rather have a kid with a little less talent who's coachable than a kid with a lot of talent who thinks he knows everything and doesn't want to hear it, right? So clearly, Apollos was, was coachable and teachable, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Okay, so, so this guy... Um, was a redeemed, basically, Old Testament believer. Um, it reminds me of Crispus, right? From just the previous passage that we looked at. Crispus was the leader of the synagogue in Corinth, and God regenerates him and converts him, but he obviously had things to learn. And Apollos is the same way. Apollos is elect. He's a redeemed Old Testament believer, and he's the perfect replacement for Paul. First uh, Corinthians three four to six. That's the passage where Paul talks about who is Paul, who is Apollos. You know, I might I meaning Paul may have planted, but and Apollo watered, but God produces the fruit, right? God produces. I, I might not have the wording exactly right, but you know the passage. That's the the passage where where, where Apollos is mentioned again. So Paul's saying, don't don't worry about whether you heard it from me or you heard it from Apollos. We. He has it right. Apollos is correct in his teaching. And however you came to faith, whether God used me or God used Apollos, give God the glory and give God the credit, right? So we got this guy, Apollos. He's clearly, he's clearly speaking out. He's teaching accurately about Jesus. But there's things that he just doesn't know. And so in verse 26, and I, I really like this a lot, he's speaking boldly in the synagogue and Priscilla and Aquila, they don't stand up, <laughs> start yelling at him and debating with him. It says they take him aside. They took him aside. So you can just picture that, right? They, they probably talked to him afterwards. I'm sure they were thankful for what they were hearing. And obviously God gave them wisdom and insight into, uh, into Apollos. But they took him aside and they gently uh, explained things to him. And, and they took the time to, to, to fill in gaps that he had, he had, it says they explained to him the way of God more accurately, right? Yeah, exactly. They gave him, they gave him the full picture. And, and go ahead. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's a good question. Well, he he knew. He must have known of, um, he knew the Old Testament. He knew John the Baptist. I don't know, I don't know, the, to actually answer your question, if he, if he would, no, Paul, it doesn't look like Paul was there at this point, but Paul is coming to Ephesus. Paul is coming to Ephesus. It says Paul was going through Galatia and Phrygia, and now we have Apollos in Ephesus, and we know that, Priscilla and Aquila are there. Now remember, Priscilla and Aquila, Aquila, this is New England accent again, are leaders in the church at Ephesus, right? So they, they have been established. Paul, remember at the end of the last passage, it says Paul left them in Ephesus, okay? So there would have been other people around in Ephesus that would have been able to, for lack of a better way to put it, vouch for Priscilla and Aquila. And they knew, I'm sure that I, I would assume that Apollos had heard of Paul. And he would have known that Priscilla and Aquila were part of the church there in Ephesus. And remember, in Ephesus, they wanted Paul to stay. And that's when Paul said, no, I, I got to go. I, I'm, I need a break. Okay. So that's a good question, though. Go ahead. Yep. No. Right. That's right. That's right. And also, we know that God had to have intervened here. There was supernatural work of the Spirit going on here that Apollos, he knew. I mean, it's, we know that he acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ. So for, it must have, the Spirit would have had to work in him to take the information being given by Priscilla and Aquila that completed that picture, right? Paul that, wrote most of the, um, 
Absolutely he did. That's right. That's right. Um, he also didn't tell you everything that went on in the conversation. That's Maybe correct. They been repeating something they heard directly from Paul. And, that's right. Uh, I'm sure they were. They may have said, well, Paul told us this about that. Yep. We don't know those things. Yeah, exactly. But clearly, but clearly he understood them and believed them, and clearly they were right. They had it right, or it wouldn't be in the, in the scriptures like this, right? And then it says, of course, we're going to see that he goes on. To, to continue to, to minister and give the full picture um, of the gospel, okay? So, again, uh, I, I just like that passage, and I hadn't looked at that for a long time, but just, again, using my imagination a little bit there, the way they must have had that conversation with them and, and, and the way they did it um, is a good picture for us. And, I mean, let's, let's face it. You guys must hear people that get things wrong all the time, Right? I had a friend a few years ago, it was a friend of my wife's, but a friend of our family's, who had these awful headaches. And she said to me one day, I know that I'm already healed, but I'm just not experiencing it because I don't have enough faith. Now, that's kind of that health and welfare, prosperity kind of a gospel, right? And I said, are you still having headaches? And she said, yeah. And I said, well, then for whatever reason, you're, you're not healed. But that doesn't mean that God is <laughs> turning his back on you or doesn't love you. Because we know we go through trials, we go through all kinds of things, right? But that's a dangerous misunderstanding because if a person thinks, if I just have enough faith, then I won't have headaches anymore, or I won't have this ailment or that ailment, and then they still have them, then what's the natural conclusion? Well, there's something wrong with me. I, I had the heart surgery in April Yep, he sure he sure does. So anyway, um, I, I I I do like the way they that picture of the way they handled that with Apollos. And then lastly, God calls us to support the advancement of His work, right? And um, uh, let me let me actually read if I can find these quickly a couple of quick scriptures. So the first one is Psalm ninety six, verse three. Um, just to support this idea that God calls us as his church to support the advancement of his work. In 96.3, Psalm 96.3, it says, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, verse 4, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Um, And then Luke 10.2 is another passage where Jesus that's the passage where Jesus says the harvest is ready. The, the, the harvest is ripe, but the, but the harvesters are few, right? Um, so there's, there's obviously lots of scriptures. Those are a couple uh, that, that, that relate to this idea of God calling us to support the advancement of his work. In verses 27 here and 28 in our passage, I think it's worth reading again. He says, and when he wished, meaning Apollos, when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. There's another little, you know, I'm always looking for things like when I'm talking to somebody, well, how do you, how does one believe, right? How does one believe? Through grace. Who through grace had believed, right? We don't believe... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> by pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps and by our own reasoning. Paul, in a, several of his letters, is very clear about that. There's no one righteous, no one who seeks after God, no one who understands, but we believe through grace. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. So Apollos planned to cross from Ephesus, and again, just back to my map liking, Ephesus is... Asia Minor, or where Turkey is today, and he wanted to cross over to Corinth, which is on the Greek mainland, okay? So the believers in Ephesus encouraged him, and, and we talked about this a little, how Paul must have been encouraged by the, uh, by the church in, in Jerusalem. I don't think we talk about, as a, as a church, encouragement enough as a, as a spiritual gift, right? But think about how that important that is. I know how important it's been in my life when others have encouraged me um, and, and sometimes I'm not with it enough to realize when people need exhortation or encouragement. But, but the believers here 
clearly encouraged Apollos to go to Ephesus. Um, and he must have had some concern, some level of concern or apprehension. Think about back to beginning of 18, Paul in Corinth. He makes a vow. He's so concerned and has apprehension. And he's, he's Paul. I mean, he's been through everything, and yet he was concerned. So I'm sure Apollos had some concern, but he was clearly willing to go, and, and I'm sure the encouragement of the believers here uh, really helped him and helped to relieve some of that concern and apprehension. It says here they also wrote, basically they wrote to the disciples in Ephesus, so they, I'm sorry, in Corinth, uh, so he w- they would have been writing to Titius, to Titius Justice, right, to Crispus, the guys that Paul left there in charge of the church or as leaders in the church in Corinth. So that was common in the early church to write letters ahead of somebody coming to commend them to the place and to the church uh, where they were going. Um, so essentially they were writing to, to Crispus, to Titius Justice, to others that Apollos had had his gaps filled in, right? <laughs> that he was informed that he was going to be uh, preaching and teaching the full counsel, if you will, of the gospel, the full picture of the gospel. And then finally, it says here, when he, got, he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. So he's doing what Paul did. He's got the Old Testament scriptures, to your earlier point, and he is showing that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures and the prophecies. And, you know, when I read that, it made me think back to the lesson from Acts 17, the first part of Acts 17, Doug's points from that lesson were that we are called to live boldly, to speak biblically. Now, Apollos could speak biblically now, more biblically, I should say, because he'd had these missing pieces filled in by Aquila and Priscilla. So he was living boldly, speaking biblically, to share inclusively, right? He's, he wants to leave Ephesus and go to Corinth and be around people that might not be like him. We know, like Doug said, how immoral Corinth was, but he was willing to share inclusively and obviously trust unswervingly to go to a place that he was unfamiliar with and, and maybe would be in danger in. So, so as we close up here, um, just some application questions for us to consider. Um, Am I under the authority of God's word and his appointed leaders, right? So are we not only learning God's word, but obviously living it out and applying it with with the Spirit's help? And, And Doug makes the point all the time, and I am at the top of the list for this. It doesn't mean perfection. It means repenting quickly when we screw up, right? And, and too many times, I've been guilty of this in my life, it, it, it's like I feel like, okay, i got to wait a few days and work my way back into God's good graces and prove to him that I'm sincere about my repentance, as if I could do anything <laughs> other than fall on my face and ask him to give me true repentance and, and to really have a heart repentance. And, and and I, I think of, I hear Doug's voice in my head all the time when I'm dealing with sin, repent quickly, repent quickly. And so um, are we coming under that authority of God's word? And are we also submitting to leaders in our, in our local churches? And, and, and our, you know, I would consider Doug, you know, a, one of our spiritual leaders, right? And, um, and, and that, and we have to be like the Bereans, remembering back a little bit in Acts. We have to search the scriptures. We have to test things. We have to make sure that what we're being taught is correct. Um, but when it is, and, 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 and we're under the authority of those that God has appointed um, in, in his church. And then secondly, am I helping to fill in the gaps for those around me? Is that needed or what? Right? I, you know, uh, talked about this many times but the I think I heard it was I think it was the preacher Alistair Begg who I heard say this ignorance breeds confusion I mean look at what people believe people will believe they believe anything right um, other than many times the truth yeah to that point you went and going back where you said sometimes you want to say things to 
prove you were right more so than mm-hmm. you love. Right. But there are times when people say things, and you know they're they're they're, they're right. unscripturally correct, and right. it's almost hard to correct them. Without, I mean, I, how, where's that line? At? Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I meant to say more about that. Please be clear, in no way am I ever suggesting uh, don't speak truth, right? That, that, that is the priority. But to do it in a way that, to try our best to do it in a way that's loving and kind, but not at the expense of watering down the truth or, or hiding behind something else or, or being afraid of offending somebody. Like the, the scriptures, the gospel, Jesus, they are offensive, right? So Jesus is a stumbling block. So to your point, I, 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 think, it's, I think a big part of it is just is being aware, right, of how we're speaking to someone. I, I, I did it, when I said that, I was thinking of myself being more argumentative in tone than I was conversational. Now, that doesn't mean that there won't be times where it doesn't get a little... Jesus is pictured in Revelation with a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth, <laughs> which is his word. So it, it, there's no question we need to contend, the Bible says, for the, for the truth. Contend for the faith. But a sword, right. But... But we're going to get more, I think, response when, and, and, and get people maybe a little more interested when we do it seasoned with salt, right? And with grace and with kindness and, and with love. Yeah. Did you have a list that we here? Yes. Actually, I, I thought I had it, but um, Doug gave it to me. I might have put it in another place. We'll get a piece of paper that we can sign on the way out if that's okay. Thanks. All right, and then finally, and, and so be clear about that. I'm not suggesting in any way, shape, or form that it's loving to water down the truth or skirt the truth, right? Never. And, and if Doug has made anything clear here, uh, that, that is one of the things that he's made very clear. And so I'm not suggesting that. Just suggesting we do it as best we can in a loving and kind way, that we take people aside like Priscilla and Aquila did. Okay, and then finally, am I supporting God's work and his workers to evangelize and make disciples, right? So, and that doesn't just mean money, although money is important <laughs> when we support when we support God's workers. But it also means our our prayers, right? Our encouragement. Um, you know, we have a, I have a men's group at um, our church, Pontevedra Presbyterian, and some of you guys may know about this ministry. But the guy that runs the group at our church, he facilitates our Tuesday night group. His daughter-in-law is involved with a ministry called Hadassah's Hope. Anybody know what that is? Okay. It, it's a ministry of women where they're going into strip clubs in Jacksonville and they're ministering to the dancers. They're bringing them food and they're showing them love without a whole lot, you know, they're not Bible thumping them, they're not in there with a lot of high expectations, but they're in there showing them love. And, and, and my friend's daughter-in-law came and did a presentation to us. And we have been, as a group, saying, okay, we need to find some things that we can support and get involved in. And, and here she is, and we're like, okay, let's put our money. Now, now, I'm not, they don't have guys going in there. No, yeah, yeah, but but they have but they have men but they have men driving the the vehicles and being out in the parking lot exactly to make sure that they can help keep the women safe. But anyway, anyway, there I'm just bringing that up as maybe that was a bad example. Well, Doug will edit that one maybe out of the uh, recording. But anyway, just the but you know. One last thing. I think of Doug's Israel trip again. When we went to Caesarea Philippi, you know how you read scripture and you read, well, when they went to Capernaum and then they went to Bethsaida and then they went to Jerusalem and you don't pay that much attention. And you, you probably remember this. They don't pay that much attention to, to that. I never did. Then we go over there and we're at Caesarea Philippi and Doug is teaching at Caesarea Philippi and he starts talking about what an unbelievable pagan place Caesarea Philippi was, probably a lot like Corinth. And the disciples must have been wondering, what are we doing at Caesarea Philippi? 
right? Why are we here? They had, they, and when you go there, you see this grotto where they did child sacrifice, and they got all these stories, and Doug, Doug really fills you in on what was going on there. Any debauched thing that you would want to do, you could do at Caesarea Philippi. Much like America. Much like America today, right. Caesarea Philippi is where... So, so it would have been like the gates of hell on earth, right? That, that was the picture. Caesarea Philippi was where Jesus said to Peter, on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Okay? So what are gates for? The gates are defensive, right? Caesarea Philippi was a picture of the gates of hell. What Jesus is saying is there's no place the church won't go. There's no place the church shouldn't go. There's nobody who they shouldn't go after. And so I just kind of thought of that when I mentioned, when I heard about this ministry and, you know, I don't know. I just, I admire those people for going in and doing that. But anyway, the point, the end point here is, are we supporting God's work and his workers to evangelize and make disciples? And there's lots and lots of ways we can do that. I think the point is just to be aware, to be looking for it, and, and then to go do it. So, all right. Thank you guys for, for listening. Any last comments or questions? Or I appreciate it. What's that? Sorry, you can't. I'm David Gray is my name. Not the plumber. I've been here since 98. I've probably been asked once a month for 23 years if I'm the plumber. My standard answer is you don't want me anywhere near your fixtures or your pipes. Maybe um, you pull your pants up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. So I, I, uh, I'm sure happy to do it. I, I'm part of the Mandarin SWAT group. I used to come here regularly when my office was over here, but I work from home now, and it's just easier to go to Mandarin. So, all right, Chuck, will you close us in prayer? Sure. Thanks.